Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope your week has been good. We are a week away, more or less, from the start of the brand new Premier League season. There is, of course, an interlull going on right now. International games. Not too many Arsenal players away on international duty. Some under-21s and a couple of the senior players, Burn Leno, Granit Xhaka, Kalasinac, etc., etc., but, for the most part, the players are at London Colney. They are training. The ones that aren't, well, in quarantine. And the ones that aren't, you know, in self-isolation. And the ones that aren't potentially leaving. So there's a few of them at training, which is good. But look, I think most teams are in the same kind of position. We're playing some behind-closed-doors friendlies. We played against Queen's Park Rangers during the week. We won 4-3. There was a very interesting thing on the Queen's Park Rangers website where they gave a brief report on the game and some feedback from maybe the the, uh, QPR manager. Uh, And it said, uh, blah, 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 we lost 4-3 to Arsenal. It was 3-1 to Arsenal. Then it was 3-3, and we won the game late on. But it said, there is no footage of this game by request or by command or whatever it was of the hosts. So they did not want any footage of this game going out. There are some reports about who scored, maybe who scored, but nothing concrete out there. They wanted to keep this one right under wraps. And you have to ask, why? What's going on? What are they covering up? What don't they want us to know? I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's something. Something big. Something that if it got out, it would rock the very foundations of civilization as we know it. Or, you know, it could have just been something they wanted to keep behind closed doors to try a few things out from a tactical perspective, formation perspective, personnel perspective. Maybe, maybe it's that. I mean, it sounds implausible, but I suppose... There's just about an element of truth to that. One of the things that came out this week was the fact that fans are um, soon, hopefully, going to be allowed back into stadiums. And that, of course, is good news. If you are one of the lucky fans who's going to be able to get in, uh, there's a lot going on from an Arsenal perspective with that, with regards to ballots and with regards to terms and conditions and a COVID code of conduct and all kinds of stuff. So a little bit later on, we'll be talking to Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust to find 
find out how it's all come together. What are the details of it? What have fans got to look forward to? What are some of the issues that Arsenal have had to deal with? And what are some of the issues that, you know, uh, fans and members and season ticket holders are going to have to contend with if they want to go to games or if they don't want to go to games? So that's coming up a little bit later on. But there are things going on in the uh, transfer market. We've signed a player this week, of course, and there are stories about some players who may be on the move and what we do with the squad and how we do it before, well, I say before the season starts, uh, before the window closes, I think is going to be more accurate, is going to be very, very interesting. We know there are issues with money. We know we're overloaded in certain areas. We know that there are areas of the pitch in which we really, really need to invest if we want to take a step forward. So to kick off the show, today. Delighted to welcome uh, somebody to talk to me about all that from The Guardian. It's Nick Ames. Hi, Nick. Hey, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Uh, I want to talk to you about some of the ins and outs and the ongoings at Arsenal that have been uh, happening this week and may happen during this transfer window. But of course, there was a signing, the long-awaited uh, signing of Gabriel from Lille, um, one that I think everybody was expecting. There was it was more about when it was going to be announced than if it was going to be announced. He arrives with a measure of expectation, obviously. He's 22 years of age, um, you know, uh, somebody for the future. But what is realistic to expect from him this season at Arsenal? Because Liga and the Premier League are very different, and he is still very young in, in terms of a central defender. So what, what would be a realistic uh, level of expectation for us to have as Arsenal fans? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, because obviously when you pay that much money for for a centre back, you know, rising to to, to twenty seven million ish, we think, um, and you bring them in to an area of the team that we know has been problematic for such a long time. You kind of want to see them hit the ground running and and you know shine immediately and do all this stuff. But I think in Gabriel's case, he does need time. I think if he is in the second half of the season settled in and a regular member of that back line and performing well, I think Arsenal fans should be happy with that. We've got to remember, and I think you've just touched on this, that he's he's basically had had one breakout season in Liga. Two two years ago it was not impossible that he was going to join Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia permanently. Mm. And I think I think people do need to to give him that half season or even full season, which pe- people don't always have that patience these days for him to bid in. But I think he'll be a great signing. Listen, I think he's um, he's got the pace, he's got the speed, he's got the athleticism. He's also, I've, I've, I was speaking yesterday to um, um, a former coach of his for a piece that will go up soon um, about his left foot, and he described his left foot as a dream. And I think... Right. Arteta has wanted that balance for so long in his back line. And I think Gabriel is going to give him that. I think it helps as well that there's a, a big Brazilian contingent now, isn't there, with um, yeah. William, obviously as well, David Luiz. We we saw it on the well-trailed YouTube video the other day, and Martinelli, of course. I think that will help him settle in. But I think um, I think give him time. I think everybody wants that, um, that cure for Arsenal's defensive problems. Everyone wants it. And I think he may well provide it. I think William Saliba might too. But I think it's going to be a bit of a process yet. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When you're looking at a 19-year-old and a 22-year-old to be the future of your defense, it makes a lot of sense, you know, to to bring these guys in at that age and to to develop them. But I think you hit on something there in terms of patience and fans. Um 
it is sometimes in short supply, you know, uh, when it comes to players and player performances. And because everything in football these days is so under the microscope, every single game, every performance, every minute of every performance, there's videos of, of just about everything. So it is important to, to have that perspective and to realize that the players do need time to develop and they need time to settle in and they need time to, to grow as people as well. Because, you know, you think of some of the best defense that Arsenal have had down the years and some of the best defenders in Premier League terms down the years. At 19 and 22, they were a long way from the finished article. Completely. And listen, um, I remember Arsene Wenger talking about, uh, I think it was Eduardo, Mm. um, um, another Brazilian with a Dinamo Zagreb connection, back in 2007, I think a couple of months before Eduardo's injury, saying, look, you bring a player in, in like this and he needs a year, almost a free pass for a year, you know, to, to have that settling in time. Now, Gabriel's a centre-back. He's, he's not even a centre-forward. He mm. can get a bit of glory by popping up once in a game and, you know, shooing one in. Um, so I do think people have to be patient. I hope the feed doesn't weigh on him. I think the rewards will be worth it if people are patient. I think also perhaps um, we now see a little bit more of the logic behind getting David Lewis in for an extra year. Um, I'm not the only person who wasn't, and maybe is a bit still uh, sceptical and eyebrows raised about that deal. Mm. You can see in a player, you know, another Lucifone player alongside each other, a guy who we know is quite attentive and good with the younger players at Arsenal, a guy who I think Mikel Arteta values for his influence. Maybe having David Luiz, you know, linchpinning a defence with Gabriel and Saliba, should we see a back three, which is another question, is not such a bad thing. We, uh, Arsenal, have issues in midfield, it's fair to say, but Danny Ceballos returning for another season reports today, as we're recording, uh, Danny Ceballos is reportedly on his way or already in London to finalise another season-long loan from Real Madrid, which is good news. The upside of that, of course, is that he is somebody who knows the club, he knows the Premier League, he knows his teammates, he doesn't need that level of uh, adaptation to come in and, and start well this season. And he, he seems to be somebody who is really hungry to become part of of uh, Arsenal under Mikel Arteta again. Uh, everyone saw him tweeting away during the Community Shield and getting right behind the team. So that's a big boost for the midfield, even if there's still some work left to do there. It's a good boost. I think that familiarity is important. I think Mikel really likes what he brings to, to the squad as well. I think he spoke several times or one or two times towards the end of last season about how how vigorously Ceballos celebrates goals when he's yeah. like um, you know on the touchline or in the stand or something like that and and how much he has brought into that team ethic. Now personally I do not know if Danny Ceballos is a player who who can become a, a big star for Arsenal for the next five years, one of the key players. But I do think he fits into, into the squad well. I think you need players like that. And I think he 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 will help give that midfield a certain fluidity that it lacks. And I think, as you say, there's still going to be quite a lot of work to do there. Do we need a player like Thomas Partey in there? Do they need somebody, a few more players who can play on the half turn, perhaps, who can kind of link the play a bit more smoothly between the boxes, which has been a massive issue. But Ceballos is is, is a good all-rounder and a fine character. The squad like him, I know that. 
Um, so I think when that gets over the line, which it surely will, uh, it's another another of the, of the many positives we've seen in the last few weeks, I think. What, 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 what's your sense of what Mikel Arteta wants to do with midfield? Because we see links with Partey and we see links with Awa uh, as well. And they're, you know, players who could come in and we could see how they could do uh, a good job at Arsenal and bring something to the team. But they are different players, uh, those two guys. We hear a lot about the lack of creativity or dearth of creativity in the Arsenal midfield, and that's very true, and I'm sure that's a pressing issue for Mikel Arteta. But one of the other things that strikes me is that the, there's a real lack of goals from central midfield from from Arsenal. Um, you know, there aren't many players in that team who, who score goals. You'd like to think that maybe Ceballos in his second season is somebody who could chip in with more than the two goals and two assists he got last season. And I'm not trying to downplay that, but statistically that's what he produced. Um, you know, I know his contribution went much further than that, but Joe Willock, a young player, um, was the highest scoring midfielder, the highest scoring central midfielder um, for the club last season. So the creativity is one side of things. And, and there are uh, lots of goal-scoring options uh, ahead uh, of that area of the pitch. But do you think goal-scoring is something that he will be looking for from his midfielders as somebody who who forged his career in there? And, you know, I know he played further back as time went on, but, um, you know, he was a, he was the kind of player, particularly at Everton, who would who would score with, with relative frequency. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, and by the way, you you, you mentioned Joe Willock um, on a slight tangent here, but I think Joe actually does have a knack for getting in those areas. Yeah. He doesn't always have a knack for finishing them. And we saw that a few times last season. But um, but I think Joe could yet be that player for us. Personally, I think a year on loan to a lower down Premier League club could, could be the making of him. But as you say, it's a bit of a... A bit of a black hole in the team. Otherwise, I think he he will want to correct that. Um, a lot of the midfield options currently, some of the ones that maybe he's looking to move on or, or do some deals around, like Wenduzi, Torreira, El Nenny. They're not really players who get on the end of stuff. Um, I think ideally he he'd probably make two signings. I I think Thomas Partey obvious benefits with his strength and his um, reading of the game. Quick use of the ball, very important, something Mikel was very big on, something that hasn't happened so much at Arsenal in the last couple of years. But there's that issue ahead of him. I think you're right, Ceballos has shown he can get into the, get in, um, into the area, make things happen. You look at that Sheffield United game in the cup and how he bombed on in, um, in the last mm. minute or two, got beyond the, got beyond the defence. Um, Alar would be the kind of player who can do that as well. It's kind of difficult too because you don't really get those box-to-box goal-scoring midfielders as much anymore or, or even your Frank Lampard types who, who just get you 20 goals a year from there. You, you kind of have to be involved so much in, in construction now, don't you? Yeah. Um, doing those little bits between the lines and feeding those players in front of you. So I think that's where a player like Oa would um, would be a fantastic signing. Whether that can happen, I really do not know. The, the financial demands would be quite extraordinary, it, I think, for where Arsenal are right now. But it's definitely a concern because um, yeah. there is that, that um, little bit missing, isn't there? there yeah, I mean... Is that the the priority now in terms of building this squad? Because clearly there are a lot of defenders at the club and some of them have got to go. And we might talk about those now in, in just a couple of minutes time. Mm-hmm. But in terms of numbers, 
Arsenal don't need to bring in any more defenders, certainly in the, the centre of the defence. Um, strikers, depending on what happens with Alexandre Lacazette, of course, you know, there's Aubameyang, there's Lacazette, there's Nketiah, there's Nicolas Pepe, there's Reese Nelson, there's Gabriel Martinelli, there's Bakayo Saka who can play in that front three as well. Willian, of course, has arrived. So in the attacking third, it doesn't feel like there's much going to happen unless a, a Lacazette departs and there's a replacement perhaps brought in. But But midfield... It feels to me like that is the the absolute priority and 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 should be the focus. It's the key area because I I think um, I, I mentioned playing on the half turn earlier. I guess it, and what I mean is that Arsenal haven't had that fluidity. Players who, who've um, who've got their head up have the next move in their head before they've got the ball and can play almost on instinct um, in that part of the pitch. And I think the current set of options. I mean, I wouldn't say any of them are bad players, but it's a bit of a jumble. It it is Mm. unbalanced. And I think he's got to pick his way through that. And I think what we might find is it can't all be done in in one transfer window, because particularly with with COVID, a lot of clubs don't have the money. We're working in a very truncated timescale as well, as we know. Can you move out everyone you want and get in everyone you want in the next month? I don't think so. Um, But you can definitely get towards where you want to be. Do you have any sense of, um, you know, behind the scenes, people people were maybe a little taken aback that the club's head of football um, departed a few weeks ago, right at the start of the, the transfer window at a key time for getting deals done and shaping the squad ahead of a new season. Is there any sense that that has impeded what Arsenal are doing or trying to do or that there have been any obstacles because of the departure of Raul Senyehi? So far, and it is very early days, it doesn't seem to have. I mean, the the transition of responsibility for the Gabriel deal was pretty smooth. And I think, if anything, it might just mean there is one less one less chain of of communication and a bit of a cleaner line between the management, as in Mikel, and the technical director, as in Edu, in, in terms of, of getting those deals done. So I think it's really early days, but I've not picked up any noises that it's impeding anything. I mean, we will see if it makes anything tangibly better. We can't say that yet, but I, I definitely haven't seen any negative in it so far, put it that way. Okay. So looking at some of the departures, and I suppose the big story of, of this week was um, your colleagues in The Guardian reporting that PSG have made uh, a bid for Hector Bellerin. An interestingly worded story, regardless of where you read it, whether it was uh, in The Guardian or David Ornstein providing some updates as well, it appears to be, look, he doesn't, um, he's not, um, close to the idea of a new challenge, but he's not going to kick up a fuss about leaving. He's not going to make any demands or anything like that. And Arsenal's stance reportedly is we want him to stay, but if the money is good enough, then you know we're we're open to to letting him go as well. So, what well, what are your thoughts on that? Particularly as as Hector Bellerin is a you know is a homegrown player, um, which is something Arsenal have to be mindful of during this transfer window as well. Uh, a popular guy, um, you know, a social conscience if you like, as well as a good player, somebody who a lot of fans uh, connect with and really like. Um, but but when you think about valuable assets within the squad and who you might generate funds for, um, you know there aren't too many who would bring in the kind of money Hector Bellerin would if 
Arsenal can, you know, negotiate upwards uh, with PSG, who I really think need to pay uh, an awful lot more than they're offering right now. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the number that we've reported would definitely need to be upped by £10 million. Mm. Um, it's, um, it's a funny one with Hector. I think there is no way that they want to sell him. That is, you know, that is not really something that they want to countenance. But they are going to have to wheel and deal. There's no doubt about it. And I think if certain other deals cannot be made and certain other people can't be got off off the wage bill, then you think, how badly do we want to strengthen these other areas of our team and, and maybe change the way we play? Mm. And I think that's the kind of balancing act that Mikel has to strike. And in Hector's case, I mean, we all know he's 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 so so imbued in in things Arsenal, good guy, social conscience, as you say, a proper ambassador for for the football club, and people should be proud of him. But you can go stale in your career. You can also, I think, you know, has and and this is not his fault and no reflection on him whatsoever. But has he come back from injury as quite the same player? I and one or two people who um, who I spoke to last season would suggest not. Um, I think he got better and looked a bit more his old self towards the end of the of the season, as in mm. the, the post-lockdown season. But if someone's putting that kind of money on the table now for a player who is, from memory, 25, am I right? Yep. Um, are you going to get that again in a couple of years' time, two or three years' time, if, if that old explosiveness that we love so much in him is not quite there? And there were games in which he struggled. So, I, you know, it's it's not one that I think anyone at Arsenal wants to do, but I don't think it's one that they would close themselves off from doing if it obviously made other areas of a team better. And, and then, of course, you would look at what else you've got, uh, right back or right wing back, and then you've got Ainsley um, and Maitland-Niles, who, much as he's the um, renaissance man and it, it looks like he's staying now and, and quite deservedly on recent evidence, has he shown over a full season that he can do it week in and week out in mm. that position? Well, I mean, games, we don't know. Um, Cedric as well is, I mean, if if Cedric's starting 20 Premier League games, much as I, you know, I, I respect the player, there's probably something not going quite right. So what do you then do in that position? Yeah, I mean, is it, a, is it an opportunity for Ainsley? Because, uh, you know, he did play quite a lot there um, for the duration of, of Hector's injury. And I think we have to take some distance with, with performance levels during that period uh, under Unai Emery because, you know, we could see that there were some significant issues going on and they, they just got worse and worse and worse. And I don't just mean with Ainsley. I mean, the team, the cohesion, the the, the lack of understanding of what was happening and, and the team's form very slowly um, uh, deteriorated. So it's it's difficult to make a judgment there. But when you look at him and you look at the improvement that he's made um, under Mikel Arteta in a short period of time, you would say, because he too was left out in the cold a little bit, but brought back in semi-final, final, played Community Shield. I mean, is that Mikel Arteta's way of telling him, I want you to stay and there's a role for you here? If Hector goes, you know, you're putting a 23-year-old who is improving, who uh, is a homegrown player as well, um, 
you know, is that the opportunity for him? Does it make as you know as much as his sale might bring in money to um, to attract a midfielder or to buy the kind of midfielder that Arsenal want? Is it also uh, a way of making room for someone like Maitland Niles? Yeah, and it could well do. And and, and of course, Maitland Niles is twenty three, but he he was playing on loan in, in the Championship for Ipswich at, at at seventeen, I think, as an attacking midfielder. Yeah, and doing well. And I I think and and I'm, I'm I'm sure this has been said many times before, but he he has suffered a bit from not having a run in one position, hasn't he? Mm. Um, and it would be a shame, or would have been a shame, if he left Arsenal in a in a kind of I'm not directly comparing the two players, but in a kind of J. Manuel Thomas situation where you know the talent's there, but you don't quite know how to use it. Mm. You know? um, now Ainsley's got a much better engine, I think, than Emmanuel Thomas for, for one matter. But I think we need to know whether he can play 20 games in a position like that um, and, and make it his own. And I think whether he gets the, is, um, is told he'll be allowed that will be a big factor in him staying. Elsewhere in the defence, there's talk of Socrates going to um, Napoli. He's got less than a year left on his contract. He's 32 years of age. He's barely featured under Mikel Arteta since since the restart. Um, and even before that, he was being played at right back, which, um, you know, again, tells you something about the, the issues that Arsenal had back there. Um, Rob Holding, he is attracting interest from Newcastle, uh, potentially a loan move there, or Leeds, Callum Chambers as well. Um, Shkodran Mustafi, less than 12 months left on his, his current deal. So there is some organising to do back there on Arsenal. You know, a couple of the situations are a little bit complicated, aren't they? Mustafi, because he got this bad injury uh, just before the cup final. Callum Chambers making his way back from uh, a cruciate ligament injury. And as much as we have hope in the the, the the young players, Saliba and Gabrielle, I I sort of share some of your reservations about David Luiz. Just, I don't doubt his sincerity, and I don't doubt that he's a great guy to have around. I, I just look at what he does on the pitch, and I have you know some slight fears that at his age, things are, are slowing down a bit. So it's, it's difficult for Arsenal to try and find some balance back there based on the, the personnel that are there and also the needs. Um, you know, you can't have eight or nine central defenders at a club. It's just not possible. You do have to make some decisions. Uh, I mean, what it is, isn't it? It's, the, it's the, the legacy of a million different attempts to sort that back line out that yeah. have all, almost without exception, failed. And and it's, it is a massive headache because I mean, you've got a lot of players there. And if we take injuries out, out for one minute, players like Chambers and, and players like Holding, who you mentioned, who who have got time to have good good careers, you know, probably probably uh, top flight careers, but it's not going to happen now at Arsenal, all, almost certainly. So we can't have them sitting around there for the next year. There's going to have to be a way to get them out playing football. Um, Socrates is, um, is is clearly out of favour. Um, I'm going to miss him personally because he um, he's one of those who always fronts up after a game, like after a tough um European away game or something, he'll be the guy who talks in the mix zone and doesn't mm. really say a lot, but gives you something for the next day. You know, he's 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 a good guy actually, Socrates, and a good squad member. But there's clearly no role for him, so so he's clearly well on the market, maybe off to Italy if a deal can be done. Um, I mean, Pablo Mari is an interesting one as well, isn't he? Yeah, because, because they spend and. and 
I, I don't know if you look at the money that was spent on him. I, th- I think the fee, 13 or 14 million. That is a lot of money that has gone on two left-footed centre-backs now in him and Gabriel and and, and two centre-backs who, who haven't really got any, any, any top-flight experience in England. So when he's back, what happens? You know, that's quite an expensive, as it has turned out, luxury to have as presumably a backup player. So there's a lot to sort out, and I, I don't really know how they do it except hope that three or four players can be moved on. Um, I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think any of them are rotten apples or bad eggs or anything like that, far from it. But it's too many cooks. And I think if you have a, a squad that large, it becomes difficult and becomes hard to manage. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about attempts of, of sorting out the back line and, you know, you think about Gabriel and Pablo Marie, um, shades of signing Lacazette and six months later signing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, like if you were looking at it strategically, would you not have been better off getting the the one guy rather than buying two players for that position? I know financially the deals aren't quite the same. It was fifty five million for Aubameyang, fifty million a little bit less for Lacazette. So the expenditure is that. But I, I think if you're Pablo Marie and you're you've just signed for a club and you've been brought in as a left footed centre half who can um, you know use the ball and and be that kind of a player. I think you're looking at Gabriel's arrival and wondering, well, what's happening here? Yeah, completely. Um, and I, I, I think the the Marie deal, given that they've been training Gabriel for for some time, is um, the more you look at it, a bit of a surprising one. But mm. you know, I, I I I didn't negotiate it, so I I, I don't know <laughs> what was going on. But um, I think he's 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 clearly not out of the picture when he gets back. Um, but. It's very hard to think that in a year's time he's going to be a, a first choice centre back at Arsenal unless things go really well for him. Mm. Just looking at the the duration of the transfer window, then, and and we all know that the way the market works, the closer we get to the deadline on October the sixth, the busier it's going to become, and a lot of deals get done right at the death. and And a lot of times people say, "Well, clubs should plan better and they should do their deals more quickly and more efficiently." But just the the, the way markets work, um, that's the way it goes. You're more willing to compromise with 48 hours left in the transfer market when you need to do things, whether they're in or out, than you might be um, with 48 days to go. So, um, how much of a challenge is it going to be for Mikel Arteta and for many? Uh, Premier League managers to to deal with the first four games, maybe three, four games of the season when squads uh, are going to be far from settled. And, and the way that you might start a season and Arsenal start against Fulham next weekend, the squad that they they name for that particular game could be very different for, uh, from the squad that is present for the first game after the transfer window. It's going to be very, very hard, and, and of course, you've you've got players who've got to to quarantine as well. Like I, I don't think Daniel Sabayos, um, once that's gone through, will, will be available until am I right in thinking the West Ham game? Yeah, and and, and that's even if he is trained and is fit and sharp. And um, Gabriel, of course, too. So, yeah, those first two or three games, maybe more, are going to be very difficult. It's almost going to be a case of just treating them as each one as a one-off. What do I need for this game? How do I approach it with the tools I've, I've got this week? Um, but having confidence in the longer-term plan. But I, I've got no doubt that the squad in, in a month's time is going to look quite a lot different, certainly in terms of outgoings, um, to the one that we see now. And it's, it's not easy. 
No, it's going to be a real challenge, I think. But, uh, you know, uh, Mikel Arteta has shown over the last number of months that he is certainly um, a, a pragmatic coach. Finally, um, the big games that Arsenal have played in the last little while, they've done very well in obviously beating uh, Liverpool in the Community Shield, even though that is, you know, a glorified friendly, of course. Uh, but the cup final and beating Manchester City on the way to it, he's beaten Liverpool twice, he's beaten United, he's beaten um, uh, Chelsea, of course, and, and uh, Man City. So, there is some improvement there. It doesn't mean that every time Arsenal play one of those teams, they're going to win, but... Um, it's now about finding a way to deal with um, some of the so-called smaller teams, isn't it? And to be more in control and to take advantage of some of the quality that Arsenal do have in the attacking third of the pitch. The approach will maybe have to be a little bit different if we're looking at three at the back for those big games to provide defensive security. You know, is there a, an argument to be made that that's one defender too many when you're playing a team um, that you're supposed to and i put that in inverted commas you're supposed to be yeah i think so um and i think the most probably the most exciting thing about arteta's leadership so far has has been his tactical flexibility and his his knowledge of how how you beat the kind of opponent that you mentioned just now city liverpool teams like that um he's he he's got his head switched on um, and understands that he's dealing with you know a set of players that is Far from perfect. So what? So what do I do with them? How do I make a game plan that is going to win? Mm. Um, I I think he does need to work out how to make them more aggressive and more front-footed and more fluid. And again, that's something that I'm unconvinced he can completely master in in one transfer window. It'll be very interesting to um, to, um, to have this conversation a year from now mm. and. And, and find out how Arsenal are playing because I think there will still be compromises um, to be made in, in the next nine months or so. I'm I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, but I think he does need to find a way to get them winning the ball back more quickly, moving the ball through the thirds more quickly and being brave enough to dominate the ball. I think we saw it in quite a good way, actually, against Leicester in the first half of that game, which I think, fin- which I think fin- finished one all. But yeah. that was how how I think Mikel would want Arsenal to play against decent opponents in a home game um, who, who are beatable. Um, but I think there's still some way of being able to. But I think there's no doubt that that is how he wants them to play going forward. All right. Well, look, we'll see. It'll all start soon enough and we'll, uh, we'll watch it play out in front of our eyes. Um, not uh, entirely behind closed doors as the season gets going, but uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, Nick, hopefully, and we can uh, reflect on where we are and whether these things have been put in place. In the meantime, thanks very much. Cheers, Andrew. Take care. Thank you very much indeed to Nick. You can follow him on Twitter at NickAims82, at NickAims82. And this week we republished a piece that Nick wrote for uh, our book that we brought out in 2012. Holy shit. It's that long ago uh, called So Paddy Got Up. But Nick uh, produced a, a really great interview with Ken Fryer who stepped down from the board this week at the age of 86. He's being made honorary life president, but has worked his entire life at Arsenal Football Club and deserves uh, a huge amount of credit and gratitude and thanks for the work that he has done uh, down the years. Uh, the piece was a, a really great interview talking about how he came to get his job at Arsenal. It's a great story and um, there's a lot of detail in there about the early days and also the stadium project and everything else. Uh, 
Uh, to save you the bother, I've put the link to that in the show notes. So you can have a read of that. That's by Nick as well. Uh, so thank you very much indeed to him. Uh, just to remind you as well that if you want to sign up for our Patreon, you get exclusive content, live streams, extra podcasts, etc., etc. And there's also the Ars Blog Patreon members Fantasy Football League going on as well. You get access to that uh, in which you can win prizes, cash prizes and shirts and stuff like that. Um, so if you want to sign up uh, and you want to get involved in fantasy football, you have to do it before the season starts because uh, we're closing that league uh, before the first week of the season just to make it as fair as possible. So if you fancy getting on board with that and getting all the extra stuff and supporting what we do here on Arsblog, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. It's a five or a month, five euros a month, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, this week Arsenal announced some details about what's happening with season tickets and fans being allowed back into the ground on a reduced capacity basis. Clearly, there's been a lot to discuss and a lot that the fans groups and the club have liaised with each other on about the the return of uh, supporters to the stadium. But how's it going to work? What are the procedures? What are you going to have to do on a match day if you are lucky enough to get a ticket? What if you get a ticket for a game that you can't go to? Can you transfer it? There's a lot to get into. And uh, with me to discuss that and much more is Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust. Hi, Tim. Hi, Dad. Can I ask you, um, obviously people uh, know the word unprecedented and they know that these are strange and unusual times and all the rest, but as a football club, uh, Arsenal and all the rest of them have never really had to consider um, anything like this when it comes to how they allocate tickets and how they deal with season tickets and all that kind of stuff. Um, how has the process been um, in terms of your own involvement in it, the Arsenal Supporters Trust and the other fans groups, the, the, the groups who... who um, who represent fans uh, at Arsenal and other football clubs? Well, certainly from Arsenal's point of view, I think they've been very good here. We contacted Vinay um, and asked for some involvement. He said, absolutely, that was important. We were then introduced to the working group that was set up under the direction of Peter Silverstone, the commercial director, with about five Arsenal executives. I think myself and another um, AST board member, Akil, I think we joined three calls with them had regular emails, pulling questions in. 
certain suggestions we made to them. They may well have been moving this way anyway. But for instance, I give you the big one that we made and they, they, they have acted upon, which is everyone should have the option to opt out for a full year if you want. Yeah. But there were, some, there were some details they used us as a sounding board. And I would give them I would give them really good marks for the willingness to engage and the openness with the communication. There are some things they've done that we're not great fans of or we wouldn't have done it like that. Mm-hmm. But I think they said, well, that's for cash flow reasons. That, that's important for the club or the ticketing system doesn't allow us to do anything else. And I think, you know, at times, particularly under Ivan Gazidis, most communications were shut down other than him talking. And I've seen the benefit of the club having good dialogue. And yes, they put out an awful lot of information yesterday. I don't think <laughs> you looked at it. Yeah, yeah. But I think more, info- more information is good because people can read it and I think get more a feeling of what the experience will be like, why they're taking certain decisions and what they're doing. Yeah. So I, would, I, I don't know about the other clubs so much, but I would say at least well done Arsenal for having an open process to get to where they are now. Okay, and you've talked about, the, you mentioned there the season ticket holiday because there are going to be people who are anxious to get back into the ground and anxious to see the team again and support them and everything else. But there are also going to be people who maybe don't feel comfortable about um, venturing out into the, the wider world or perhaps being in close contact with other, other people or who have medical conditions or are at risk for various reasons and, and don't yet feel comfortable about going into a football ground. So those people do have the opportunity to take a holiday, if you like, and, and see yeah. where we are in a year's time. They do. They can take a season. It's, they're calling it a season ticket holiday. Mm. But in effect, you know, you are your your membership rights go on hold until where well, we would expect August 2021, when the season after the next one starts, mm. and then you will have the choice to, to 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 join in again. And I don't think they could have done anything fairer than that. You you keep all your rights. If you want, you can even request the the refund that you're due from the games that weren't played last season. You can take that out. So if you need the cash flow now, you can have that. So well done, Arsenal, for giving people the choice, be it for health reasons or financial concerns or not liking the look of the experience. We might come on to talk about like that because it's going to be nothing like you or I know is the experience of going to a football match. Yeah, sure. Um, how much of what's happened has been guided by, you know, the public health guidelines and government advice and all those kind of things? I mean, were there things that you guys wanted that just aren't possible because of that, that the club perhaps wanted to put in place, but they can't because of the uh, the regulations that are that are going on? There are. There are special regulations that have been created by the Sports Ground Safety Authority, and those feed up to Public Health England and in turn government and you have to comply with those standards to mm. open your stadium. We should also stress that the, what the government has said at the moment is it is the intention to allow some fans back from the 2nd of October, i.e. it might end up being the 15th of October and they need to give a final sign-off. So, I, I, And I still think it's very much up in the air whether we will start in October. Um, the schools have just returned what will happen to the R number. There's lots of factors there. But yes, public health guidance have dictated things like distancing in the stadium, so how many so many seats being used, advice on when to wear a mask or not, mm. advice, on en- advice on entry to the ground, because, of course, normally you go past someone for a pat-down. Um, yeah. You're most, in many ways, you're most interacting with people in the queue to get in, in the queue for the toilets, it's, it's all about turnstiles. It's all about concourse area. Sure. Then when you're, then when you're in your seat, um, often, I mean, the one time you perhaps get 
um, intimate with people who aren't your immediate partner yeah. is at a football game when Arsenal score. Yes. Um, that, that's not allowed anymore. <laughs> no, no high-fiving or hugging the person down the road. Yeah. I mean, those <laughs> are part so of the, uh, the, the, uh, the code of conduct, for example. You know, it does say, uh, you know, to uh, do the sensible things that we all know, like wash your hands and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, but it says avoid hugs, high-fives, handshakes and close contact with people who are not within your support bubble, which I guess is sort of your family unit, whatever that yeah. might be. And that is, of course, part of part of what makes football great and being in a football ground great. So what is this, what is the experience going to be like for the people who are lucky enough to get tickets in the ballot? Are you going to be sitting beside, you know, like I mentioned family, so uh, families who go together, maybe can they sit all uh, in four seats beside each other or is there going to be distance between every seat what happens if you you have season tickets with your friends and you know how, how is it going to work on a practical level once fans are led inside the ground is it going to be like an evenly spaced um situation where the uh, what is the percentage of fans that are going to be allowed in is it 20 percent at first no it's between 15 and 25 percent they don't right. know the exact details yet they're still working on it one of the reasons for that is the kind of answer to the question you just put, which is how will people attend? Like you will be allowed to attend in a group of up to four people. Mm. And those four people should be complying with the government's current guidance on, on the bubble. So it would be your family or a member of another household with which you have formed your joint bubble. Mm. So you will, you will enter the ballot as one, two, three or four people but that group or that bubble of one to four will then have to have the social distance of at least uh, uh, from all the other seats. Okay. So you will, so you will, in effect, you'll see lots of small groupings of people. The reason the capacity could change is if everybody applies in groups of four, they can get more people in. Right. If everyone applies in ones and twos, because sure. obviously you can put four people can sit next to each other before you have to then have the gap with the seats. Mm. So it will be helpful to the club and the, the capacity point of view, if people do form bigger groups. Right. But the maximum you can go with is four people. Okay, so what is the situation in terms of who exactly can attend games as it stands? Because I did see some people talking about how as silver members, they're not allowed. It's going to be restricted to to season tickets and gold membership holders and, and all that kind of thing. How difficult has it been for Arsenal to decide who gets in and how they get in and, and um, you know, the, the allocation of tickets in a way which makes it in some way fair? Well, they, I think they've, they've started off by saying that the, the season ticket holder, the gold membership, has the priority. Mm. And I think that, that was probably right. They, they're the people that you usually make the annual commitment to the club. And it's a very, it's a very large group. If you include the, um, the premium level, the, the platinum tier, I think it, it's about 48,000 at Arsenal in that kind of number. Mm. So the, though, all of those will get the option to enter the ballot. And then depending on how many enter the ballot... Um, will depend how many tickets are, are given. At this stage, Arsenal are not, are not making ticketing arrangements for anybody else. So it's only season ticket holders that will get told if they've been selected in the ballot for the tickets. However, when you receive your ticket as a, from the ballot, if you can't attend or you don't want to attend, you can transfer it to somebody else as long as you transfer it within a, the kind of friend and family group 
but Arsenal will rely on you doing that correctly. Right. So, so that will, I think, open up a lot more opportunities for people to attend. Okay. Um, a question that a number of people have asked me to put to you is, um, obviously there's a deposit required for season ticket holders. You've got to pay a deposit and then, you know, there's a process to go through. Um, a number of silver memberships and red memberships have been asking why they've been charged in full for their membership for the year when they have no possibility of attending games. Is that something that, that you guys have been able to raise with the club? Yes. Let, let me split that out because there's two different things there. Right. The deposit, you talk about the deposit. Arsenal actually call it the initial payment right. because it's not, it's not acting like a deposit. Sure. But season ticket holders are having to pay in it's roughly the value of 20% of the season ticket to enter the ballot. Mm. The, the reason they've chosen that figure, it's actually the exact amount that we were due in refund for the games not played last year. And the vast majority of fans have left that in the club because normally you just get that deducted from the price of the next season ticket okay. and, you, and you roll forward. It won't this year, it won't actually be used for tickets. So it's kind of sitting there as an initial payment and you will get it back when the following season starts. We did challenge that because we felt that, you know, in my case, it's nearly £300 that will sit with the club for a year. Mm. Um, but they've explained that that's a mixture of to help with their cash flow and to show a commitment, you know, to the balloting process. It, when I secure tickets in the ballot, I'm going to have to pay for them game by game. Right. As we go. On your separate point about the silver and red members, yes, I think um, there's an important issue here and we've pushed this hard with the club. They were, of course, hoping that in a few weeks' time, the capacity might get increased and they will have some availability for silver and red members. That's going to depend on things like how quickly a vaccine comes or how quickly the wider public health issues improve. We have made it very clear to Arsenal that we feel if these silver and red members can't use those memberships, they should have the membership fee rolled forward to the following season. You shouldn't pay for a membership for this season that you don't actually get to use the membership card for sure they haven't said yes they haven't said no because i think at the moment they'd prefer to be selling well sixty thousand for every game and and, and fulfill the membership mm. criteria but it's a point we'll continue to make and i can understand why at the moment silvers and reds feel a little bit left out they paid some money but they've got no priority within the initial allocation arrangements sure um has there been Discussion. I mean, I'm sure there has. Um, what happens if things get worse? What happens if fans are no longer allowed back in the stadium? I mean, I read the email that that the uh, the AST put out about the the financial situation at the club, and and uh, you guys have done some really great stuff on that, and it looks slightly better than perhaps the initial email uh, looking at the financial impact of this back in whenever it was April or May that that you put it out. But of course, there is the possibility things could get better, and we all hope that they're going to get better, and everybody will be allowed back in, and you know we might uh, come to an end. Um, but there's also the possibility it could go the other way. So are there contingency plans in place for that? Or is that just something they're going to have to deal with as and when it happens, if it happens? They would have to deal as and when. At the moment, I should stress that the government hasn't given formal approval to fans entering the Arsenal-Sheffield United game, the first game it would be. Right. They've said that the earliest it could happen is from the beginning of October, mm -hmm. but the final plan still needs signing off on a national level and by the um, local authority who provide Arsenal with a safety certificate. 
and we see at the moment, aren't we, local lockdowns in areas of Manchester and Leicester. Mm. It could happen in London. We could suddenly wake up to a local lockdown or concerns, I think, particularly with um, clubs like Arsenal that are very reliant on tube journeys for people getting to the stadium. There's not much parking. So I think almost game by game, we'll have to see how it goes. One of the reasons Arsenal have built a system like they have, they will actually ballot like only the sort of a month in advance. So they will do about four games at once mm-hmm. and tell you the games that you've got. But that's partly, I think, so they're not collecting a lot of money from people that they need to refund if the game is cancelled yeah, yeah. or if they get a, a smaller capacity imposed on them. But yes, it's going to need a lot of goodwill from Arsenal towards its supporters, but also from from us towards them to understand that we're dealing with these very difficult times. Yeah, I think most people do, really, having been through lockdowns and come out the other side and, you know, this this um, new post-lockdown world we live in is not quite what we uh, were used to before, you know. So I think the reality of it is still there for many people. So um, I'm sure fans will be be um, understanding of the difficulty of the situation that the club are, are, are dealing with and football is dealing with and, and the world is is dealing with what absolutely what are what are some of the things perhaps that you guys um were advocating for that weren't um weren't put in place or weren't able to be put in place by the club we would have preferred a system whereby you you positively entered the ballot for for games you could attend rather than everybody all in one going to a general ballot and then get the email i can give you an example now looking at the fixture list great game arsenal chelsea on boxing day but almost certainly family reasons take me out of london Mm. over christmas they normally do so it's a bit of a waste for me to be allocated that as one of my precious six tickets over the season and i can't go sure i'll find somebody else for it on this transfer system i think that they felt that a mixture of the ticket technology they had, it was a struggle, but also they were, you could tell that they were slightly concerned that were, how many people might apply against, you know, FC partisan of nowhere, for, you know, in the, in the, the Europa League yeah, on yeah, a yeah. Thursday night yeah. and so on. So it is a sort of mandatory ballot rather than a choice ballot. Um, we would have liked the ticket exchange to be turned on. Um, because that would have been a good way of making sure that these precious tickets, if you were allocated one and couldn't go, were passed on. Also, the ticket exchange could then have been open to silvers and reds. Mm. I don't think many would have appeared in it, but at least it would have fulfilled that purpose. And again, I think that the the challenges of the technology, they also say it gets very complicated with the public health requirements of you'd have to sell the whole group or none at all and how how the ticketing works. So those, those those were two... Um, probably the two main things that we we challenged on. And we'll still push them to review that. And also the the, the red and silver membership, as as I've explained to you. Mm. Um, The wearing of masks um, within the ground, um, fans are advised to wear them uh, on the concourses and coming in and out of the ground. But during the game... um, they don't have to, so we won't have the muffled shouts of Arsenal fans, the muffled songs of <laughs> well, Arsenal it's, fans. It's, that's going to be interesting. Let me maybe. It's a personal choice, talk. though, obviously, isn't it? If you want to wear your mask, you can wear your mask. That's right. You can absolutely wear it. And the advice is still going to be that you are advised to wear it, mm. but it won't be mandatory. When you buy your ticket, you will actually sort of opt into some specific COVID terms and conditions. Uh, you know, almost a behaviour on ground entry yeah. and, and, and following the various 
procedures that they put in place will be important. Let me just run it through so that people understand. So this is, this is what match day will, will look like. You'll have to arrive earlier than normal to go through a sort of special designated zone entrance. At that zone entrance, you'll have a thermometer held to your forehead, one of these thermometer measures. And if your temperature is too high, I haven't actually asked what will happen, but I guess you'll be probably told to go home and seek medical advice in quarantine. (laughs) Um, If you make it through that system, you'll have to show, you'll have to carry photographic ID with you because only the person who's registered with the ticket will be allowed in. That's very important, and we did ask for that because that's how the track and tracing will work. And in fairness to the club, they have put in place, uh, uh, is amnesty the right word, or or a a system through which you can amend the name on the tickets because a lot of tickets are in family names, etc. Exactly. So you can amend the name that goes into the ballot. Then you can also use this transfer system Mm. to amend the name of the person who's going. So I think it's a very fair system. It's driven by public health. You know, if someone in Block 96 test positive after the game they need to be able to contact everyone else who was in block 96 sure. with, with the advice of the track and tracing and maybe quarantine and so on so then you will then you will go into the ground you won't have a bag with you i think they're allowing you to carry a small plastic bag a bit like you go through airport security with your toiletries yeah it says like a, an a5 bag or a clear bag will be permitted in the stadium laptops and rucksacks are no longer permitted so people who are coming to games have got to be aware of that because a lot of people just carry a bag with their stuff in it they do so you, and, and there'll be nowhere to leave those bags so in effect, you know you you won't get in hmm. then there'll, then there'll be very strict signage one-way systems there will be some refreshments available but i think it will be limited they'll they'll steward the toilet areas to try and create one way in one way out of course it will be a much reduced capacity probably between 10 and 15,000 for the early games. So there will Mm. be a lot of space for people to be. Then when you go to your seat, you are socially distanced apart from your group from everyone else. If you have to pass someone in your row, I think you are asked to turn your backs to each other. So there'll kind of be a sort of shuffle (laughs) where you're both looking in the other direction. Um, You will be advised to wear your mask even while watching the game but it won't be mandatory my own view is that it's is it practically just the way to watch a game you're there for two hours the mask is quite restrictive you want to shout Mm. i think most people probably will pull the mask down once they're socially isolated from the other groups but you must wear it when you're moving around the stadium for the safety of everybody else right and on queuing to get in Uh, goal celebrations no, no running, no running up and down the row, high fiving everyone. <laughs> no limbs, none of the, none of the usual. No pitch stuff. invasions. <laughs> none of that. They, you've got to stay in your own, in your own group and be quite restrained. Mm. And then at, at the end, and I don't quite know how this will work. And I pity the stewards. In fact, I urge everybody to really be as helpful as they can towards the stewards, because you are, in theory, you will be called to leave row by row. There'll be a kind of. You know, uh, because otherwise, if, if everyone tries to leave at once, you know yeah. the place where you probably are most closest to everyone is that push for the for the tunnel at the end when you leave. Yeah. What about the um, people who leave early? I mean, the people who always well, leave early. There's going to be some of those <laughs> as well, aren't there? I just I just yeah. don't know how this will how this will settle down. 
But, he, he, you know, trying to get 15,000 Arsenal fans to, to stay behind when we've just lost 2-0, you know, it's not... Come on, we're not losing any games next season, <laughs> I know, Tim, you know that. We're, we're going to win every game and we'll be staying happily <laughs> stay for half an hour before. But it, I think the thing here, I am both desperate to get back and see what it's like. Mm. But I do have this big question mark about after going back for one game, is it really going to be worth going back for further games? Because I, I love live football. I love going to games. Sure. It's the experience. But if the pub beforehand is socially distant, so it's hard to meet people, and then I go in under all these restrictions, the Emirates Stadium with 10,000 people in it, it it's going to be a bit nasty. It is it? weird. I, was, I mean, I wrote about that on the blog today. Like, empty is empty. And you can sort of look at it as this this one thing and you know why the, the whole stadium is empty. Um, two-thirds empty or 75% empty is slightly different. I don't know. You know, like, I haven't been able to get on board with the, the fake crowd noise or anything like that when I'm watching on TV. I just prefer... It, it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't... Um, it's made up, isn't it? You're, yeah, much, I'm similar. I feel like they might as well make up a goal if they're going to make. Yeah, up Yeah, it, it just there's an artifice to it, and it doesn't quite doesn't quite work. It's like if you, you know, you watch a movie and the actors you're watching on your TV and the, the it's out of sync as well. It just doesn't feel right. Whereas at least the noise of emptiness, um, the sound of shouts echoing around the stadium, there's something authentic to that, even if it is so far removed from from what we're used to. Um, yeah, look, I mean. I, it feels like something that has to happen in this way, though. It has to be a gradual, a staged return. You can't just get 60,000 people back in. You can't just have the streets thronging with people. And like you say, I hadn't even considered the pregame stuff, the pubs, the stalls, the, the burger vans, all of that kind of stuff, which is part of the match day experience. Um, you know, they're going to have to to adjust to this new system as well. They, they absolutely are. Um, it's all going to be very, very different. And then perhaps the, one of the other important things to cover, and there's a big meeting happening um, just at the end of this week of all the Premier League clubs, is with so many people not able to go or choosing not to go, the importance of making broadcast coverage available. I was just going to no, ask no. you about this because, <laughs> you know, 15, 20% of Arsenal fans, and it's a lot of season ticket holders are not going to be able to get in. A lot of members are not going to be able to get in. Silver and Reds, we've already talked about, not going to be able to get in. Um, you know, it, it feels to me, and I know that the AST have been quite vocal on this and the Football Supporters Association as well, like this is probably uh, in this, this weird time we live in, one of the easiest things to get on top of um fans coming in and out of stadiums it's complicated and ticket allocations it's complicated and who pays what and who gets what and how do you make it fair but just putting games on tv seems like a really easy thing for sky and bt in the premier league to sort out so why does there appear to be a reluctance on their part to make this happen and where is where is the stumbling block on this I think the stumbling block, which it usually is with modern football, is concerns about money and revenue. So it's um, that if you you said you'd looked earlier at the AST financial projections, mm. and you'll see there are big reductions in broadcast income because last year I think the Premier League have ended up probably rebating about six hundred million in all to their broadcast partners because they didn't fulfil the contract. They are very concerned that if they open up this year's contract, they might end up giving rebates, even if. The process of opening up the contract is to say to the broadcaster, you can have some more content. Mm. So I think that's some clubs are, are, are anxious about that. 
I've heard the viewer express that some clubs are anxious that if all games are on television, people won't come back even to the reduced capacity crowds. That's probably less of an issue for Arsenal, where I think you'd expect them to always find 10 or 12,000. Mm. But maybe if you're an Aston Villa or a Burnley, where you're draw, drawing on a much smaller, consistent pool of people that come to the games, and they learn that every single game of the season is going to be on television, they might opt out for the year. That, those are arguments I've sure. heard. But quite frankly, I don't think any of them hold nearly enough weight or aren't insurmountable to something that, which is an unprecedented uh, national health crisis. And people should have access to the games, both to stop congregating in pubs around streams, both to stop people turning up to try and get in, and also just doing what's fair and right to fans. Yeah. You know, so, um, and we have pushed Arsenal on this. And I think um, Vinay is receptive and understands the argument and has certainly said to look at it quite hard. And so I hope that we make progress out of today's game. It will be ridiculous if in nine days' time, the Premier League season kicks off and there are some games. It won't be Arsenal because we've been selected for the live game. Sure. But there'll be some games where there won't be a fan, well, certainly in England, there won't Mm. be a fan in the game or watching on television. Yeah. You kind of almost say, well, what's the point in the bloody game then? (laughs) Well, you know, there's a a sporting element, of course, but like the the, the reality is that people all around the world are going to be able to watch, you know, if it is a, a, a Burnley versus Aston Villa game with no fans in the stadium and no live coverage in the UK and Ireland, yet fans from all over the world have this choice. They have every game at their fingertips. And of course, you know, the reality is, um, in this day and age that people are going to they're going to find the game wherever they can well, get it well of course and I would have thought one of the commercial arguments for enabling you know legal watching of the games is mm. it will only push people into the streams and once you do that you, you, you go down a route which would be very difficult to necessarily get them back yeah of course, if you find a way of getting your games for free, why are you going to pay a subscription to Sky, to BT Sport, etc., etc.? So, yeah, look, hopefully some discussions can, can take place on that. Finally, um, you know, last season was remarkable in many ways. It was, <laughs> it was. I, I don't want to go over it again, but like, you know, the, the, the story... You wrote a novel, didn't you? We you basically, wrote a novel explaining it. Yeah, all. we basically <laughs> did. And I think we even left some stuff out that we forgot, you know, there was so much went on, but it ended very well obviously, and it ended on a, a high note with the FA Cup win. As a as a fan, are you looking forward to, to the new season and looking forward to what we can do under Mikel Arteta? Obviously, there have been some structural changes, if you like, at the club in, in uh, scouting, at executive level. There have been some departures uh, and so on. Are you, feeling, are you feeling confident like we're on the right track? I think we've got a, a, a great young, I was going to call him manager, I should still call him head coach. Uh, he's the manager. We know he's the they, manager. We know he They're is. giving him responsibilities like yeah. manager. And it does show, I mean, structural change is important, but so much does come just from the ethos and the tone that the head guy sets. Yeah. And it's extraordinary in some ways, isn't it? How mm. just, just changing that head tone, you see it at many clubs, just lifts a club, it injects confidence and purpose. And it's really exciting to see where he's going to take Arsenal next. They are going to have a a really tough 18 months dealing with the financial situation. What you've got to hope is that this sort of, this sense of purpose that he's found, this way he's got of making them a team again, can can kind of give enough because 
they've got to get back into those Champions League places to earn, to earn the income stream mm. um, to deliver. But I'm excited. It's kind of just slightly tempered by all we were talking about, the fact that wouldn't it be wonderful to get in a full Emirates stadium and get, and get behind the team and, sure. and him this year, but it, it, we won't be able to do it. But yeah, I think on, on the pitch, Arsenal looks as promising as it has for several years. Um, just finally on that, and we're talking about the message that the the head guy sends out and Mikel Arteta sends out, and and we've had discussions on this podcast before about the ownership and and the Cronkies and uh, KSE and and everything else. I mean, do you feel like in some ways the message that he's sending is being received uh, at that? Uh, level because you know we know Josh Kroenke has become a lot more involved Stan um, has always been a little bit distant but Josh does seem a little bit more involved if he is convincing Mikel Arteta that is if he's convincing you and I as Arsenal fans about this project is it important for him to be able to convince them in order to to sort of um, generate the the backing. And I'm not just talking about KSE um, slapping 200 million on the table, which we know they're not going to do. But like, here's your transfer money. Go do it, my son. Not that kind of thing. But just in terms of their own um, interest, if you like, or, or or attention to what's going on at Arsenal. Well, I think it, obviously he wants their confidence because he you know he wants to you know to carry on and for them to approve his decisions. But I really think we perhaps now over talk about KSE. They are distant. They don't really get it. In many ways, you could say part of the problem of the last three or four years is they have let the wrong people in London run amok and signed off what they wanted to do. And if you had a criticism, you could say at times they they signed off some really inappropriate expenditure. Look at Mkhitaryan, look mm. at the Ozil contract, look at some of the signings, look at mm. Raoul's role. Um, where I am encouraged, and, and, you know, you probably know that, you know, at times people probably got bored of us, but if the AST talked about governance and strengthening the board once, it talked about it a hundred times. But look what happened after we had, you know, a, a, a new appointee to the board. Sure. Who, who could, with some influence. And actually, I think that's almost as key. I really hope we'll see one or two more appointments there because a well-run football club is a mixture of very good executives with a good board holding them to kind of holding the kind of check and balance, sure. both supporting yeah, yeah, them yeah. and checking the decisions. And if Arsenal are going to be successful going forward, it will be that board and the senior management team in London. You know, KSE are distant investor owners. The club has to generate its own resources and spend them as well as it can. Mm. But I'm more encouraged now that we're getting personnel in London that will effectively spend our resources to give us the best chance of being a good club again. All right. Well, look, hopefully we're on the right track and uh, it'll be good, a positive step to get some fans back in the ground. Tim, thanks a million for your uh, for your detail on that and we'll catch you again during the season. You're welcome. Thank you. Cheers to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Tim Payton, at Tim Payton. And if you want to get involved with the Arsenal Supporters Trust, you can find all the details to do that on their website, which is arsenaltrust.org. That's arsenaltrust.org. Um, just since we did those interviews and those recordings, a few little bits of transfer news have taken a couple of small developments. Lucas Torreira, this is Thursday evening, I'm recording this now. Lucas Torreira. Some reports in Italy say that the deal between Arsenal, Fiorentina and the player is done. He's going to go on loan for a season. They're going to pay an 8 million euro loan fee with an obligation to buy for 16 million euros at the end of it. So not quite what we paid for him uh, if that goes through. 
but still not the worst in the world and in this particular market um i think we have to readjust the valuations of the players that that we sell or that we're looking to sell there's this idea that well, we want to sell this guy we want to get rid of him but we also want top dollar for every single player um I'm I'm just not sure that's realistic. Socrates on his way to Napoli as well. They've confirmed their interest in signing him. Another one who will take a, a bit of a hit on, but when you sign a 29-year-old player for £16 million, whatever it is, you're not buying him for his resale value. So I'm not sure there's any point in really getting too hung up on what we're getting back for him or the loss that we might have sustained on him. Personally, you know, I don't think he's been brilliant for us, but I think he's been better than Louise. And, like, I know this is a bit of a low bar. Um, you know, he certainly hasn't conceded five penalties in one season. And until the recent form um, under Mikel Arteta, I think he's been better than Mustafi for the duration of his time here. Like, not a great signing, hasn't really worked out. But I don't know that he's been as bad as some of the other defenders who perhaps have a little bit more goodwill in the bank because of what they've done more recently um some suggestion of a fee of around four million pounds for socrates which given the fact he's 32 and he's only got what um 10 months left on his contract can really argue with that can argue with that any money in is good money at this point so considering he's not really going to play Mikel arteta doesn't pick him in the team picks him in the squad but not in the team it seems reasonable to move him on and to take that little bit of money and add it to the other little bit of money that we might have after spending the money on on Gabriel. And uh, let's see what we can do in the midfield market, because that, folks, is where the real issue and where the real excitement or where the real... Uh, how would you say this? That's where the proof of our transfer window pudding will be found in the midfield purchases. So uh, let's hope we can do something there uh, in the next couple of weeks. Right. That's about that. Have yourselves a great weekend. There's no Arsenal, of course. There's Interlol. So we'll keep fingers crossed for our players who are away. They come back unscathed and uh, uninfected, I guess. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra. Uh, Patreon folks, we're going to do a transfer pod with uh, James Benj a little later on Friday as well, so you can get access to that. So uh, until the next one, folks, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hello, is this Asna? Yes, this is Sporting Director at Completely Made Up Football Club, also in Completely Made Up Country, which is why you cannot put finger on my accent. Anyway, we would like to buy the player. You know the player we're talking about? Him, yes, exactly. We like to buy him. We give you 10 million pounds right now. What? 
Okay, okay, we give you eight million pounds right now. What? Okay, okay, we give you one million pounds right now. And later we give you seven million pounds for the player we like to call. Are you, are you sure about this? Okay, we give you one million pounds right now. And then we give you seven million pounds in seven million installments of one pound over the next seven million years. You drive a hard bargain, Arsenal. You drive a hard bargain. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 